Tonight, turn with me to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1. We started last week talking about looking into the future, and last week we looked at the ugly side. Tonight, let's look at the beautiful side of the revelation of Jesus Christ. I, lo- I am a book of Revelation freak. I love the book of Revelation. I just, I, I could live there. I'm going to live there one day. Go to the last two chapters. That's where I'm going to live one day. And I just love the book of Revelation. And uh, we're going to begin looking in it tonight. I believe every believer, every follower of Jesus needs sort of a working knowledge of the book of Revelation. And you need to have an idea. So do a little overview tonight and look at some things in it. And uh, this, this, is, this is like no other book in the Bible. Uh, you're probably familiar, aware of that. And I love the book of Revelation. There are two books that are bookends of the Bible. The book of Genesis is the book of beginnings of world history. <clears throat> the book of Revelation is the, the consummation of world history. And it's, it's just different from every other book in there. The Greek word revelation is apocalypsis. We get our word apocalypse from it, the movie Apocalypse Now. And it, uh, it mean, the word revelation means unveiling that which is hidden. The Greek word ap- apocalypse means to unveil what's hidden. It's like, it's like there's something behind a curtain and I want to see it, but I can't see it. So somebody takes the curtain and pulls it back. That's an apocalypse. That's a revealing or a revelation of what was back there. And then I can see what I can't see. Well, the book of Revelation reveals what you can't find with the natural human mind or a microscope or a telescope or a horoscope. And, uh, the book of Revelation reveals things that nobody knows. That's why it's called the Revelation Uh, of Jesus Christ. And the word of can mean from Jesus or about Jesus. And it means both. It is from Jesus and it's about him. And it's it's the only pure prophetic book in the Bible. It's the only holy prophetic book in the Bible. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel are prophetic books. This is the only completely prophetic book in that everything's forecast in it. All right. Let me get, before we look at it, let me give some truths about the book of Revelation. Y'all have heard of Revelations? Well, it's it's revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. But there are many revelations in it. And there's some things we need to know. Number one, it is not to be avoided. You you say, I'm reading the book of Revelation, preach today. Oh, no, don't go there. Don't go. Don't read read that book. You get all messed up. Why'd God put it in here? It's different from all the other 66 books in this. It's the only book in the Bible that has a pronounced blessing on it if you read it. Look in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of prophecy and keep those things which are written in it. The time is near. It's the only book in the Bible that says that. Of course, you're blessed by the whole Bible, but that's the only book that has that specific blessing. Well, why would you stay away from something God put in the Bible? And why would you stay away from it if he says, blessed are you if you read it and hear it? What's the third one? Then you got to do it. Read it and hear it and do it. So it's a very special book. It's got a tremendous blessing on it. Secondly, it it is the most signified book in the Bible. And by signified, uh, in verse 2, he said this. This was sent and it was signified, which simply means it's in symbolic language. This book is highly symbolized. Uh, In other words, there are word pictures in it and symbols in it that have to be interpreted. If you, if you, like, if you don't know Jesus and you're a scholar and an intellectual and you read the book of Revelation, you'll say, that is nonsense. You'll just look at it and you'll go, that's the dumbest thing I ever read. And, uh, you know, I I had several friends. I don't think they're bad about it now, but years ago in the 60s and 70s, back when we were going to school, rode our dinosaurs to school and uh, college professors were hard on Christians. And uh, my cousin went to a university and, uh, 
he, asked, he just first day of class in the philosophy class, which is a waste of money, philosophy class, he asked, is anybody here a Christian and believes the Bible? She said, I am. He said, it's the dumbest book I've ever read. I've read it. It makes no sense whatsoever. Well, her answer was, it's not written to you. This book is written to God's children. That's what you get for reading somebody else's mail. Of course, it doesn't make any sense to you. And he's very specific. This book is written only to people who know God. You say, well, an atheist professor can read it. It'll be the craziest thing in the world to him because it is, sim it is symbolized and it's full of symbols. You, you know, you look in here and you see, uh, you see the beast with seven heads and 10 horns. You go, does, does she go to church here? What, what's that talking about? You see the great whore who rides that beast? Well, it doesn't make a lick of sense. You, you see the dragon, who's one of the main players throughout it. You see Babylon the Great, both commercial and religious in there. And, and in the book of Revelation, a tremendous codes. For instance, th this is the number of the beast, 666. You've heard the number 666. Well, it's not Henry Kissinger. He's too old now. But it's just, it's full of codes and symbols and, and, and they have to be interpreted to understand it. And the Holy Spirit is the interpreter of the book of Revelation. Got to have the Holy Spirit to help you understand the book of Revelation. It must be interpreted. This is the most misunderstood book in the Bible. And more craziness comes out of this book. I have heard some of the weirdest things. The first time I ever taught this book was 38 years ago. Excuse me, 42 years ago uh, through the summer at the Providence Baptist Church in Providence, Florida. And I have read every major commentary I could find. I love this book, but there's some goofy stuff comes out of this book. That's why I'm very careful what I don't know I don't say. I don't see Apache helicopters in here. You'd be surprised folks would do. They saw Henry Kissinger for years and then Henry turned 80 and they said, well, probably not him at this age. You have to be very careful that you let the Holy Spirit bring this book to heart with you. And I want to teach you something about the whole Bible here. It's not an intellectual book, although it is very intellectual. It's not a history book, although it's historically accurate. This is a book written by the Spirit to be read in the Spirit. Because only the Holy Spirit can help you understand this book. A couple of great verses on that. In the Bible, in uh, uh, one of the great, great truths, and th this sort of surprises people, Luke twenty-two forty-two, the Bible said, and Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So I don't, I don't care how smart you are, I don't care if you have a PhD, the Bible won't mean a thing to you unless God touches you and lets you see things in here. And uh, the other parallel verse, and that's Matthew eleven twenty five, 25, where Jesus said this, Father, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, but you have revealed them unto humble people. You don't understand God's truth in the Bible based on how big your head is. You understand God's truth based on how big your heart is. It's not intelligence that'll cause you to have great truth and revelation. It's humility. And if you come, uh, you know, as an academic and as a scholar saying, I'm Prove it to me. God will just shut your door. And you, boom, he'll show you anything. But if you come saying, I don't know anything, but I humbly ask you to teach me, you have revealed these things to the humble. And that's why they were so mystified in the book of Acts. How do these men, having never been to seminary, understand the Bible so well? The guy who wrote it showed it to me. And we put too much emphasis. I'm not against ac academics. We put too much emphasis on scholarship and not enough on prayer and humbling ourselves before God and letting him reveal his word to us. So the, the book of Revelation has to be revealed by the Holy Spirit. Number three, we approach, I approach it in just awe. I, I just read this and I go, God, 
I just wonder at what's in this book, but you approach it with humility and reverence. Not just, show me that. What's, that. what's that crazy stuff mean? You can't approach it like that. You have to come with your heart humbled before God and in awe that the creator of this universe would unveil the future of the world to you. And I'm going to tell you something. It is wild. I mean, it makes today's best sci-fi movies look like Amos and Andy. It is wild. It's just wonderful. I love the book of Revelation. All right, the book of Revelation comes in... Um, it's, in, it's divided into six divisions. We'll give them to you real quick. Six divisions throughout its 22 chapters. Number one is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is chapter one. Number two is a panorama of world history, which is chapters two and three. World history from the time Jesus went, uh, from, this, from the day this is written, which is about 95 AD, till the second coming of Jesus, it gives you a shot of world history and it divides that into seven periods. That's chapters two and three. Chapters four and five are... Well, I'm going to quit saying it's great. Okay, it's all great. Chapters four and five are a picture of what's going on in heaven right now. It takes you right into the throne room of God right now. And you see him, you see the throne, you see what people are doing in heaven right now. And uh, I'm going to tell you something. If you like reverence, do not go. It is wild. I mean, you think, listen, we're mild here. You get in heaven, they're falling down, they're flinging crowns. That's what's going on right now. And that's Revelation chapters four and five. And then the bulk of it, Revelation chapters um, six through 18, is what we call the great tribulation period. It's that period of time right at the end of the age for just a brief period of time where hell comes to earth and it, it erupts. And it, what you see in there is crazy. And it's three cycles of seven judgments eat. It's Revelation is the book of judgment. It's when judgment comes on the earth in three cycles of seven judgments eat. You have the uh, seal judgments, the seven trumpet judgment, and then the seven bowls of judgment are poured out in the earth. That's chapter six through 18. Uh, within that, you, you have some interludes in, the, in that passage right in there. Uh, chapter 12 is the history of Satan from before time began till his final day. It's just, it's sort of like chapter 12. It's not in the flow of things. It's just an interlude where God put in there, this is the, this is the dragon. This is passage about the dragon. Chapters 13 are the beast and the false prophet. The one man who will rule the world in the one world government and the world religious leader who will give his power to the antichrist. I mean, you just, this is crazy, but this is God's word. And it's true. So it's a little interlude. Chapter 13 shows that. Chapter 17 reveals that she's called the great whore who sits on the seas of the earth over many people. And it's that one world religion that we're moving toward that will dominate the earth that is an antichrist religion. And then, of course, the other one, chapter 18, is the, is the collapse of, it's called Babylon, commercial and religious. It's the collapse of the world economic system and the collapse of world religion. And that's in chapters 18. And that's the uh, fourth period. And then chapter five is that what we've heard of before. It, or excuse me, uh, section five is the battle of Armageddon, the millennial reign of Christ, and then the great final judgment called the white throne judgment where all of sin is judged. And the beast, the false prophet, the whore, and Satan himself are thrown into hell forever and ever to be tormented day and night in the lake of fire. That wraps up uh, in chapter 20. And then of course, chapters 21 and 22, are the new earth where we're going to spend eternity. And this is so wonderful because the Bible, the first two chapters in the Bible are, are perfection. The way God wanted it to be, 
the last two chapters in the Bible are perfection, the way God wanted it to be. And everything from uh, Genesis 2 to Revelation 20 is man screwing it up and Jesus fixing it. Now that's, that's the Bible right there. It's in three sections. Perfection, humanity, perfection. That's just, there's your whole Bible right there. And the book of Revelation is divided into those segments and, and just wonderful. And uh, let, let me, uh, real quickly, let's, let's look and, uh, well, let, let's just put in chapter one, verse one. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. See there? This is only for people who love God to see. And only the Holy Spirit will help those people to see it. Which things must shortly take place. The word shortly is a terrible translation of the Greek word quickly. The word is quickly. In other words, when this starts, it is going to roll like thunder. And it, it, some people have misunderstood this to mean, as it was written in 95 AD, that it'll be here by 100, 105 AD. The word is quickly. When these judgments begin, they roll quickly is what it means. And uh, which he sent and he signified, signified means it's in symbolic language, by his angel to a servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God, the testimony of Jesus. All right, so there's your introduction. Let me tell you about the guy who's writing this. It's the apostle John who wrote the book of John, first, second, third John. And look with me in verse nine. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ. All right, there were 12 apostles. Of course, John was the closest man to Jesus on the earth. He was Jesus' closest friend. Jesus had an inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. John was the closest to Jesus. But we know that because he was the one that always sat right beside Jesus, leaned on his breast. He's the one when others wanted something, they'd ask John, you go ask Jesus. And Jesus was closest. That's why his book, the book of John, is the greatest picture of who Jesus is. All right, uh, all the other 11 apostles were put to death for loving Jesus as young men. Now they were all 12 apostles were contemporaries of Jesus. So Jesus went back to heaven in 33 AD at 33 years old. So these men were about the same age. All, right, all the other apostles were put to death. You know, remember Simon was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like the Lord. And all, all the others suffered. John's the only one that was allowed to live to be an old man. And as an old man, he was declared to either bow the knee and pledge allegiance to Nero and renounce Christ, worship Caesar, Nero, or be exiled. And he said, I'll refuse, I'll not do it. He's, he's been faithful to me, I'll be faithful to him. So Patmos is an island off the Greek coast. It's just a, a small island off the Grecian coast. And it's where they would take prisoners and throw them out there. And you had to do the best you could on that island. And it was just a, an island where they got rid of prisoners that they didn't want to kill. It's unusual because Rome killed everybody. But for some reason, they had prisoners they didn't want to kill. And for some reason, John was put on that island. Of course, we know it was the hand of God now. And he was put on that island. This is written in 95 AD. So he's in his 90s. Rare that a person lived that long back then. So he's an old man. He's on the island of Patmos. He's been exiled. He's out there by himself. The next verse says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So he would pray. He's out there walking with God. And it was on that island that God spoke to him or Jesus actually came and appeared to him. That's why it's the revelation of Jesus. And he said, write this book. And he, he, he scribed this book. Jesus prescribed it. And John wrote it down uh, on this island of Patmos. You got the picture. There's an old man. This is the last book written in the Bible chronologically. And he's out there. Uh, some friends of mine that go to our church here, uh, I think it was four years ago, maybe five years ago, they were visiting uh, Greece and they went out to that island, Patmos. And you can go out there now and the cave that John lived in, you can go in there. 
And they went in that cave there where he wrote this book and they prayed for our church, prayed for me and their families. And while she was there, the, the lady, she picked up a stone out of that isle, out of that cave on the island of Patmos where John both wrote the book of Revelation and brought it back and gave it to me. Well, when we were building this church right here, when we were pouring the concrete in the floor here, I came in, we had a little ceremony right there under this pulpit. I took that stone and put it in the concrete right there and dedicated it to the Lord that this church would always have as its foundation stone the Word of God and never depart from it. And so it's been there ever since. And that's our commitment to Him. We ain't going to be the flashiest. We ain't going to be the fanciest. We're not going to have the prettiest preacher. But this church will be built on God's word and took that from the book of Revelation where it was on Patmos there. So that's where he's at. He's writing this. And he has a tremendous revelation of who Jesus is. And let me tell you this about the book of Revelation. There are many revelations in it. Many, many revelations. You're going to see some of the greatest tonight and one of the most life-altering revelations there was, let, let me say this, in my humble opinion, the greatest revelations are not the cataclysmic crazy things that will happen at the end of the age. They're the revelations of who Jesus is to me right now. This book, remember this, <clears throat> this is not the, revel, the revelation of the craziness of the end of the age. It's the revelation of Jesus. It shows us things about Jesus. And so I want us to look at several of those revelations. Of course, we saw the first one, which is in verse three, which was the blessing. You are blessed if you read this book. I don't understand it. I can't explain it. There's something supernatural that happens to a person who reads this book with an open heart. And God has promised to bless that person. Secondly, I want us to look at a series of revelations that are right off the bat there in chapter one. I want to look at the revelation of God himself. Right. How many of you believe there's a God? Okay. That was the easy part. Now I want to ask you one of the most important questions you'll ever answer. <clears throat> What's he like? What's he like? That's why we need a revelation of what he's like. If you talk to 10 different people and you tell them, don't play games with me. I don't want to hear what your preacher says. Open your heart and tell me how you see God in your heart. What do you see him as? You'll get 10 different stories. And we all have a, I'm going to say perception rather than, we all have a perception of what God is like. To some people, he's a stern father and you better not cross him. To some people, he's an irrelevant, cold God who put the earth in motion and he really didn't care. But everybody's got a perception in their heart of what God is like. It came through your experiences growing up. It came through whatever preacher you listened to. It came through your religious training. Some of it came from Satan. The, the God of this world, the enemy of our souls would love to tell you what God is like and you, you'd be wrong in your thinking. Okay, so it's all this, but now here's the, here's the thing. We will spend our whole lives getting it straightened out. Now let me tell you why this is so important. You live your life on two legs. You live your life, nothing affects your life more than two truths, and those two truths are what you believe about God and what you believe about you. How you perceive God and how you perceive yourself affect your life more than any other two things. If you think that God is mean and stern and hard and that you're stupid and you're a loser, you're going to be crippled on both counts. But if you ever get to know God for who he is and get to know yourself for who he created you to be and who he says you are, 
you can mount up with wings like an eagle and run and not be weary and walk and not faint. I think the most, I know people who are brilliant scholars in the Bible, but their daddies, their earthly father's faces are still stamped in their heart about who God is. And that's why it's so important to get a revelation of Jesus Christ, of who God is. That's why he begins this book with a revelation of God, the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. I want you to look with me in Revelation chapter one. Here's the first thing he says about God. Now remember, this is the book of Revelation. So he's revealing the first thing he says about God. Verse four, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. Anytime you see the words who is, who was, and who is to come, that's referring to Jehovah God Almighty. All right, that's God right there. What's the first two things he wants you to know about God? What do you get from God? Grace and peace. Well, see, what I got from God was you're in trouble and you're going to pay for it. 17 books in the New Testament begin like this. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If the first three things you don't think of when you think of God is mercy, grace, and peace, you need a revelation of who he is. The Lord is gracious full of compassion, slow to anger, great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies over all his works. Most people see God as too hard because of what they've been taught. Uh, are we still living? He's not that hard then, is he? I'm still breathing. God is good. But more, I believe more than anything else, we need a revelation of the grace of God. Of course, you know what the word grace means, don't you? You can't earn it. I'm going to give it to you. The, the grace of God is his kindness to us undeserved. What do you get from God? You get grace and mercy. And what does peace mean? I am not mad at you. There's peace between you and me. There's no problem. You say, man, you must be a good guy to have peace with God. Having been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, I have peace with God through the Lord Jesus. God's not mad at me right now. He smiles on me. Not because I'm a good guy. I'm not. I'm, I'm getting better. I'm not that bad, but I'm just, I'm not good enough. God smiles on me because Jesus went to the cross. That all of our hope is in the cross. It is the smile of God. This is so simple, dear ones. Here's what grace is. Everything I have came through the cross of Jesus. That's grace. I have one son I love dearly. I love you, but I am not nailing him to that oak tree in my backyard to help you. And you wouldn't do it either. The God of heaven did. And we need a deep revelation of grace, his kindness to me, and he's the one who made peace with me. People ask me once in a while, where'd you find Jesus? I just laugh and say, he was not lost. <laughs> I wasn't looking for God. I was running from him. He came and found me. If a man hunter hundred sheep and loses one, he don't wait till the sheep comes back. He goes after the one that's lost. You will never be able to explain the love of God for you just like you are. And, and this is the first great revelation in the book that God the Father gives grace and he gives peace in our lives. And then this about the Holy Spirit in verse four. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. The Holy Spirit is pictured in some unusual ways in the book of Revelation. Right here he's called the seven spirits. In chapter four he's called the seven flaming lamps before the throne of God. And in that great passage, Revelation 22, which is the great revelation of the Holy Spirit, he says that he is the river that flows from the throne of God 
that brings healing to the nations. The Holy Spirit of God is the great healer and provider. And, and he, he's, the, he's the mysterious one of the three. But he is wonderful in that. And then he goes into this revelation of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see this. Beginning in uh, verse 5, the Bible says this. Jesus Christ, and then watch these, gives five revelations. The faithful witness. Guess what that means? Everybody else is going to shut their mouth and he'll have the last word. He, faithful witness means pure truth. Now, I can be a liar. I can have a little bit of truth. I can have mixed truth. I have never met a person who has all truth. I've known some folks that didn't have much truth, <laughs> but I've never met a person that has pure truth. What is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He is pure truth. He's the faithful witness. He's the last word in the situation, and it declares that he is all truth. This really bothers a lot of people. I think the most agitating verse in the Bible for folks that don't follow Jesus fully is John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. Jesus is not truth. He is all truth culminated in himself. And he'll be the final faithful witness in everything that there is. And this is moving toward the great revelation. He's called the faithful witness. Praise God right after that. He's called the firstborn from the dead. Guess why he's called the firstborn? Because there's going to be some more born from the dead. Now, many people point to, you know, Jesus resurrected from the dead. He's the first born from the dead. A lot of people point to Lazarus. Lazarus wasn't resurrected. Lazarus was resuscitated. He's just revived in his old carnal body. Lazarus died again. When Jesus came out of the grave, he came out a resurrection man with an eternal body. And he's the first one. And what does Romans chapter 8 say? The first of what? Many. He's the firstborn from the dead. Well, the great message of Revelation is fear can't, death has no fear anymore. The, the Bible calls the fear of death the last enemy man ever faces. How are you going to hurt a man who doesn't fear dying? Looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. The sudden death would be sudden glory. Of course, Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, as the scripture teaches you and me. And I love this right here. The ruler over the kings of the earth. You see, well, that's not true. I know kings that Jesus doesn't rule over. Wait a minute. Got to go back to Greek to get this one. It reads ultimate ruler over the kings of the earth. How many of you believe that Jesus was ruling in the life of Adolf Hitler while he was on the earth? The answer is no. Really? Jesus was not ruling over that king of the earth. Is he ruling over him now? He is the ultimate ruler. Every person will one day bow their knee. You can put your fist in his face all your life, but ultimately he will rule in every life. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Jesus is the ultimate, what does that mean? Last word. He'll be the ultimate ruler over all the rulers or kings of the earth. The fourth revelation of Jesus is, and this is the great one, him who loved us enough to wash us from our sins in his own blood. You've heard that all your life. You'll never understand it. You've heard it all your life. You'll always be amazed at the fact that the only perfect man who ever lived would do that to help me. I, my prayer for you above everything else is that grace never stops being amazing. If you see the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, there was only one way for me to spend eternity apart from hell. What was that? There's none perfect, no, not one. Nobody could help me. The only one way is there had to be a perfect sacrifice. There's only been one perfect man and he had to make a decision. What did he say? Greater love has no man than this and to lay down his life for his friends. I don't care if you become a Bible scholar, the greatest truth you'll ever know in your life is, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. 
And the great revelation here is, I think everybody knows Jesus loves them. None of us know how much yet. That's why we have a revelation that he loved us to wash us in his own blood. This is where, this particular revelation is where our singing comes in. I don't care what's going on in my life. I don't care whether it's up day, a down day, a good day, a bad day. I got, I got a virus. I got, a, I got a, I lost my job, whatever. But praise God, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And the foundation of our lives is that I've been loved by Jesus and my sins have been washed away and I'll know him for all of eternity. I mean, what would you, well, let me just let Jesus say it. What would a man give in exchange for his soul? What would you trade for belonging to Jesus for all of eternity? What's it worth to you? Not a thing. Friend, if you know Jesus, you've got everything anybody could want on this earth regardless of the walk on the way to seeing his face to face. What a tremendous promise that he washed us. Now verse six is this. He made us kings and priests to his God and father. A little bit of a language problem there. It would read better. He made us a kingdom and priests. In other words, Jesus took over my life and he's the governor. He's the mayor. He's the president. Jesus is my congressman. I operate under Jesus kingdom and authority. I am a king under Jesus. Jesus is my king over me. What is a priest? There were three offices in the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king. A prophet is somebody who spoke to people on behalf of God. A priest is somebody who spoke to God on behalf of people. Jesus has opened the way so that I can go straight to the throne room of the universe and pray for you. I know that something will happen. He's made me a priest unto God himself. Listen to what this is. These are the revelations of Jesus that he unfolds that we want to get down in our hearts and hold on to forever. All right, now here's the great revelation. This is just tremendous in verse seven. It says this, behold, he is coming with the clouds. That's the revelation of the book of Revelation. Jesus is coming back to earth again one day. All right, he came the first time as a humble lamb. He was born to peasant, a peasant family. He had the miracle virgin birth, a teenage girl. He grew up, would you have done it this way? Would you have sent the creator of the universe through a little poor girl's womb and let him live in obscurity in a village as a furniture worker? Is that how you'd have done it? Mark Lyra, this is a strange way to save the world right here. There was God's ways are so strange to us, but so wonderful. And he came as a, as a humble, what is the revelation of Jesus up to right now in the earth? The mystery of the miracle birth, a humble carpenter, a man who revealed the glory of God and the way that he walked around and brought the kingdom on the earth. He healed the sick, he raised the dead, he fed the hungry. And then what's the revelation? He is the lamb of God slain on a cross to take away the sins of the world. He holds power over death. He proved that, but that's it. Up until now, up until the book of Revelation, that's the only revelation of Jesus there was as the sacrifice for our sins. But the Bible says in Revelation, he's coming back. The second coming of Jesus is the major theme of the New Testament. Mentioned 270 times in the New Testament and he's coming back. But now I'm gonna show you one of the crazy revelations. And this is where our thinking begins to deviate in the book. I think everything we've seen tonight, you already knew. Good to review it. This is where our thinking changes right here. In verse seven, the Bible says this, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him. Uh, let me just pause a minute. I can remember years ago, a full page article in the Siler City newspaper, Siler City newspaper, sweetheart. I remember when it came out years ago and it said, the Messiah is here. I forget they name him, gave him some goofy name nobody could pronounce. Let me make an announcement. That wasn't him. 
say, how do you know it wasn't him? What does the revelation say? Every eye will see him. When Jesus comes back, you won't need the Sour City newspaper to tell you. You'll know it. Coming to a planet near you is the second coming of Jesus. What's the Bible say right there? Every eye on this planet will see him. All right, now let me, if you've got an egghead, let me help you here. You know what egghead means? You've got a big head. Let me help you here. You say, if he comes from the east, how will the folks in the west see him? You need to get over that. He who spoke the stars and the moon and the earth in place, I promise you, his son can be seen. I don't care what direction he comes back from. But every eye will see him. Now, here's the crazy part. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and that points to the Jewish nation. All the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. What's the world going to do when Jesus comes back? They're going to mourn. I'm going to be shouting. I'm going to be celebrating. But what's the world going to be doing? This is a strong word, mourn. They will be weeping. And they will be upset that he came back. That's the first strange revelation in the book of Revelation that when Jesus comes back to the earth he created, he will not be welcome and the people will not want to see him. Now, I want to show you something. Up until now, the only revelation of Jesus up until this book has been the son of man, the servant of man, the healer, the provider, the lamb of God. But you're going to see him different in this book. Let me show you what he looks like in this book concerning this verse that the tribes of the earth will mourn. Turn with me to chapter 6. Turn me to chapter 6. How many of you know who, what Jesus looks like? Somebody know what he looks like? Well, you can see it on the signs. You've got the guy holding a little lamb. I right, look at this revelation. Chapter 6, verse 14 says this. Then the sky receded as a scroll. When it, this is the second coming of Jesus. The sky receded as a scroll when it rolled up. You ever heard that? We sing a song that says, Lord, haste the day when my faith will be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. That's where it came from out of that verse. The skies receded as a scroll when it's rolled up. Every mountain and island was moved out of its place. The kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. Why would the great people of the earth go run to hide in caves? Verse 16, and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us. Hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. What did the great people of this earth see that they would run and hide in mountains and beg the mountains to hide them from the Lamb? So we know whatever they saw, this is a revelation that when Jesus comes back the second time, he will not come as the gentle Lamb that we saw come the first time. He'll come back in judgment the second time and just his appearance will be so fierce that presidents, business leaders, kings, great people will run in terror and beg to be hidden from him. You say, I just can't fathom that. That's why we have a book called Revelation. And it reveals the second coming of Jesus. By the way, we're out of here by now if you love Jesus. You see, you're one of them people who believes in that rapture of the church. <laughs> here, there, in the air, I'll see you. Look, doc. Jesus has taken me out. For, I'm just, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We can, we can agree to disagree. I am pre-trib rapture and, and we can still go to heaven. If you don't agree with that, just I'll get there for you do. That's fine. We, I'm riding in first class. You hang on to the wing, but we'll get there one way or the other. But the truth is, this is, this was the first shocking revelation to me in the book that Jesus is going to come back and the whole earth will mourn and run from him. I can't imagine what, it doesn't tell us what they'll say. It just tells us great men who are arrogant, like Ted Turner, 
who when he was asked, what do you believe about Jesus? said, I don't need anybody to die for me. I'll take care of myself. Ted won't have that attitude when Jesus comes back. None of the great men will be arrogant in front of him. They'll run and they'll, what do you do to beg a mountain to hide you from somebody? But did it say from the smile of the lamb or from the, this is the period of his grace right now. His arms are open wide. You can get in. Do not mess with his kindness right now. Do not flaunt his grace right now and face, you want to face him as the suffering lamb of God, not as the avenging king, which we have the opportunity right now. All right, so the Bible said that he comes back. That, that to me is just a great, one of the mysterious things in the book of Revelation. And uh, let's go back to chapter one, verse seven. Again, he's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, those who pierced him. The tribes of the earth will mourn even so, amen. All right, now here's, here's what I want to look at tonight. This is, this is a great revelation that I think most Christians don't even have. When Jesus makes some pronouncements, and I want us to look at it in Scripture, I don't, this is where I want to talk about your life right here and my life right here. Everybody has one life, and we have a free will to decide what we're going to do with it. And the book of Revelation will help you decide what to do with your life because in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said this. Verse 8, by the way, you notice it's in red, which means what? That the exact words of Jesus I am the Alpha and Omega. You've heard this all your life. Alpha and Omega. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the final. It'd be our Z, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Of course, it's written in Greek. He said, I'm the Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who was and is the, what? Mostly mighty. What does the word all mean? Almighty all power. And in verse 11, he says the same thing. I am the alpha and omega. What does it mean first and last? If you're a person who says Jesus is very important to me, that's not enough. That's important, but that's not alpha and omega. That's not everything. If you're a person who says, well, God plays a big part in my life. That's part-time. That's not big enough. He's not the alpha to the new or the omicron. He's, he's everything. And this is the revelation where we see that Jesus is everything in life. Here's the revelation. It is all about Jesus. World history is his story. He, he's not important in world history. He is world history. He's not one of the big players in history. He is the only player in history. He's not like the first quarter <laughs> He is the Alpha and Omega. He, he was, He is, He always will be. Even in good Christian mindsets, God is important. He's not very important. He's all there is. He's the whole nine yards. And this is something that we need a change in our thinking about this. You say, well, why, why do you say that about Him? Here's several reasons why the book teaches us that it, in American Christianity, it's different from other places. Our God is compartmentalized. He's Sunday morning, bedtime prayers, very important to me. That's still compartmentalized. In the Bible, he is everything there ever was or ever is. He's the reason I go to work, because he created work. He's the reason I have a wife, because he created wives. He's the reason I sing, because he created music. And we got to get off this. This is my civic life. This is my sports life. This is my family life. And this is my God life. That's unscriptural. He's everything. And we need a full, a full infilling 
of what he is, several reasons. He created everything. I want you to look at me in Colossians chapter one at the great revelation of this. I think some folks know the first part, but we struggle with the second. And I just want to give you this tonight and I want you to dwell on this and think about it. In Colossians chapter one, one of the greatest statements is made concerning why the universe exists and who Jesus is. It's in Colossians chapter one. Colossians is a tremendous book. And it talks about in Colossians chapter one, verse 15, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And I want you to look at the reason why these two verses. By him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or principalities powers. How many believe that? How many believe that everything that exists was created by him? And when he says visible and invisible, thrones and dominions, every visible thing I can see, every tree, every rock, every person, the sunset, the sunrise, every waterfall, every bird, they were created by Jesus Christ, their creation of his hand. But then you go into the invisible realm where the thrones and dominions are, every angel, every spirit, every controlling power, he is the creator of everything that exists. I think most people believe that. But watch the rest of this right here. Colossians chapter 1, verse 7, 16. The latter part, principalities, powers, all things were created through him and what? For him. Marriage was created for Jesus. The farming was created for Jesus. It was created by Jesus for Jesus. Music, all music was created by Jesus for Jesus. Any music that does not glorify God is a perversion and was stolen. Because it's all created by you. say, well, you listen to Charlie Daniels. It don't have to be a hymn. Unless it's contrary to the reality of Jesus Christ, it's good even if a Christian singer don't sing it. You say, well, what happened to opera? I have no idea. I don't know what... No idea what happened to opera. I don't, I, okay, just because I'm below it, I know that. Everything, swimming, fishing, recreation, art, everything was created by him and for his purpose. Does that put him in the church on Sunday morning? Does that make him the first and the last, the Lord over everything? This is the great revelation. I, I'm everything there is. I'm the Alpha and Omega. I'm all that there is. And then verse 17 says this. He is before all things. Now the word before doesn't mean first, it means above. He is above all things and in him all things consist. Jesus opens his hand and this universe spins out of orbit. He opens or he turns it, this universe loose. It loses, it goes into chaos. The only reason my body doesn't implode right now is because he's holding it together. I was created by him, for him. He holds everything together. Jesus is not a great guy that's real important. He holds everything in the universe together. He made everything and it's all for him. The book of Revelation causes us to see the Jesus that we love a whole lot bigger. It's supposed to give us a revelation. And see, a lot of times in church, we're still stuck down here with this nice little guy, which is good, who walked on the earth and loved people. That's not the revelation. That's who he was. Who is he right now? He's the one holding the universe together. You say, well, I can't see him. That's why you got a book called Revelation. That's why he reveals these truths to us that everything was by him and for him. And he created everything there is. All right, who gave you life? Why, are you, why do you exist today? Do you believe that God created you? 
Do you believe you're a biological product or do you believe God created you? Psalm 100, know this, he created us. Psalm 139, I was there when I knit you in, my, in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I, I knit you in the lowest part of your mother's womb. Every molecule in my body that touches is because he caused it to touch. He created me and put me on this earth. Well, <clears throat> I can't say to the one who created me and created me for himself, leave me alone. I can't say it's my life. I'll do what I want to do. He'll let me do that. But where are you headed, Doc? I was created by him, for him. Guess what I should do with this life? What does the book of Acts verse 4 say? He determined the day I was born. He determined that I'd be born in the Catholic hospital in Charlotte, that I should seek him and find him, for in him I live and move and have my being. He's not just some guy I worship on Sundays. He becomes the reason to live, the focus of life. So it's all about him. And he gave us life. Now, here, here's the continuing revelation. For his purposes. I was created for the purposes of God. He said, oh, gosh. It's okay to say that in front of him if you're upset because you, you were created for his purposes. Let me look around here and see if there's any real religious people here tonight. See if I can get away with this. I think I can get away with it. Oh, I forgot y'all was watching on camera. <laughs> See, here's our warped thinking because we don't have a revelation of the glory of Christ. Oh, if I give my life completely to God, I'll be in Botswana giving tetanus shots to pygmies. And... <sighs> I won't ever get to go to the beach. I won't get to get married. I won't ever get to have sex. I knew nobody would amen that. <laughs> Can't ever fish no more. Giving tetanus shots all days. <laughs> Preaching the gospel. That is a warped view of God. I delight to do your will. Do you dare me to say it? How many of you dare me to say it? I'm going to say it anyway. I'm old. It is the will of God that I enjoy sex. I knew I'd get some male amens out of that one way or the other. <laughs> I was created by him for his purposes. Now let me make an announcement. One woman. Oh, great. One woman for one lifetime. <sighs> That's the will of God for my life. Sign me up. Amen. Fishing is the will of God for my life. Being happy is the will of God for my life. Being free is the will of God. In him I live and move and have my being. Homemade ice cream is the will of God for my life. He created it for me. Horses were created by God. They're most as beautiful for me to ride. That's the will of God. To worship him on Sundays, to, to work on Mondays, to in him we live. He is the Alpha and Omega everything. Oh, I'm feeling better about this now. Once you covered ice cream and the sex, I'm happy now. We'll, we'll do something here. <laughs> we got to get this thing off of that. My life would be better, but okay, I better serve God. You're nuts. I delight to do your will. You have written your law in my heart. If your desire is homemade ice cream, he put it there. You say, well, you'll, you'll die young. You'll die happy. 
Who cares? You want to stick on this old sin infested earth rather than go see Jesus? Give me some ice cream. And I'm being a little silly here, but we, we got to get over this religious mindset that God belongs on Sundays and then I get to do my thing through the week as long as I go on Sundays and give some money. He's the Alpha and Omega. I was created for Him to live for His purposes, all of them. And you'll never, your heart will never say, I was created for this till He becomes the Lord of all and you find life in Him. I'm going to tell my story. I, I was so messed up with religion, still am to some degree. We all are. And, you know, I, I was trained in religion. It was terrible. I should have just took the Bible and listened to God. Kind of get a witness. I'm in college and it's time to get a wife and I'm nervous because I thought I really should pray about this, but I'd rather pick my own out. Because, you know, I wanted a good looking wife that was not a preacher's wife. And I wanted a good looking wife that wasn't a preacher's wife. That's what I wanted. And I thought he'd give me what I'd seen in preacher's wise. I'm married to this old gal that wears these cat eye glasses and got a bouffant and sits, plays the organ every night while I'm watching Lawrence Welton. Wouldn't ever want to go to bed, nothing like that. I thought, good God. So it's our warped view. We need a revelation of Jesus Christ. And he gave me, I mean, finally I said, fine, you fine, pick her out. I'll meet her at the altar. Thy will be done. Bring her on. I can live with it. Come on. He blessed the fire out of me. See, and I, and I just, all right, all right. How are we cooking with gas? This is good. The more I get a revelation of Jesus Christ, the more excited I get about how good he is. But you can't just have him on Sunday. He needs to be the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He needs, I need to, he created me for his purposes and in him I live and move. He needs to become everything. And uh, we, we need a new view on that thing. So the Bible teaches us that he gave me my life. Uh, here's the great revelation from the book of Revelation and other places. And one day I'm going to stand in front of him and I'm going to give an account of this life. Not one, amen. That tells me you've been taught wrong. You know what the answer is? Praise God. That means I don't have to give an account to nobody else except Jesus. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Don't make me stand in front of the religious council or the WMU. Put me in front of Jesus where I'm safe. Praise God. We're, we're, we've been given one life. And listen to me. One day you're going to stand in front of him and you're going to be reviewed. All of us. 2 Corinthians 5.10. Here it is. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of what we did with our body. Oh, I better take more missionary trips. No, no, no. You're so messed up with your thinking. You need a revelation. To give an account of the things done in our body, whether good or bad. I'm, I'm not going to stand before God and be in trouble because I didn't do enough religious things. I'm going to stand before God and give an account. Did I enjoy life the way he created it to be enjoyed? Did I live an abundant life like he created it to be? If you saw the perfect will of God for your life, you would crawl across broken glass to get it. And then when you live that life out in him, live and move and have you being in him, at the end of the line, you're going to say, praise God, this is good right here. All right, here's the question. Here's the great revelation. It's not were you good or bad. It's not about being good. or Listen, God's best friends are not some of the best people. And some of the best people are not God's friends. That's not the issue. 
the issue is when it's all said and done, did I live for eternity or did I waste my life? Right, John 6, 27 is the foundational verse for this. Jesus said this, do not labor for the meat that perishes. Labor for the meat that will last for eternity, which the Son of Man will give you. What did Jesus say? Don't live your life for stuff that will burn up at the judgment seat of Christ. Live your life for things that will still be rewarded for eternity. Live your life. Part of the great, uh, part of God's plan for my life is to be a father to my children. It's not from my kid, not from my wife. My wife raises my kids while I'm out on the golf course or the, or the basketball court or on my fishing boat and she has to raise my kids. That's not evil, but I've missed God's best for my life. I want to be home with my kids. That's part of God's plan for my life. And my, see, her job is to make sure they're clean and they behave and they're well-fed and they get taught things. My job is to keep them happy. I'm the entertainment. She's the stability. So I have to have two people to raise children. That's why it's good to have a team like that. That's the will of God. I delight in his will for my life. But let me say this. Our world says this is success. Not unless Jesus is dead in the center of it and in him we live and move. God says, no, this is success right here. Right, let me show that to you in scripture. This is, we need a teaching on this. Turn me to Matthew chapter 25. Here is the whole of life in one short parable about the kingdom of God. You can be a rebel against God with your life and that's a wasted life. I don't care if you make a zillion dollars and write hit songs and build a great business, you've wasted your life. Or you can be religious, very religious and you've wasted your life or you can enjoy Jesus. Those are the only three options according to scripture. But in Matthew 25, we see this great passage and remember, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven on Sunday mornings. And over and over in the Bible, Jesus said, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is like this. Verse 14, the kingdom of heaven is like, so that this is not what it is, but this is a picture of life. It's like a man traveling to a far country. Who's the man that traveled to the far country? Jesus went back to heaven for a while. That's pretty far country with me here. To a far country who called his servants and delivered his goods to them. To one he gave five talents, another two talents, another one. To each according to his ability, he went on a journey. All right, so the man gives, this is a picture. Every person has had something vested in their life by God. And Dr. J.O. Williams wrote a great book one time called the God is an Investment Capitalist. And this is the passage that proves it. He's invested something in every person. He's given them the talent here doesn't mean I can dance and sing. It's, it's, it's a particular, in this, in this sense, it's a sum of money, but it's potential. He's given all of us potential. Do we all have the same potential? No, five, two, one. Some people have more potential than others. That's his business. I just want to be on one side. But we've all been given something and this is what God has vested in our lives. And then he went on a far, far, far journey to a country. I maybe think he might come back from that journey one day. All right, you're going to see it in this passage right here. So he's given us all something. He goes on a journey. Verse 16, he who received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. This is a man who took the life God gave him and said, what can I do with this life? He may not have built a great business. He may not have gotten rich. He may not have been well known, but he took what God gave him and he lived it to glorify God and help people and delighted in what he did. See, we, we think famous not famous. God's upside down on this thing. He just took what God gave him and he took the life God gave him and he glorified God with it, primarily in the way he treated people. The second guy did the verse, uh, 
Verse 17, he who had, had received two talents gained two more. He who received one talent did what? Went started smoking and drinking and cussing and running with hussies. Is that what he did? Is that what he did? He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't sin. He just took the life God gave him and said, I'm going to set that over here and I'm going to live for me. I'm going to be a good person, pay my taxes. Might even go to church. But this is my life. And what God vested in me, I'm just going to set it over there. Do you understand what the Bible says? We always think good, bad. God says, what are you going to do with what I gave you? And uh, here, here's the great part. Verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came. How many of you believe Jesus is coming back? All right, to the picture of the second coming of Jesus. Watch this. And settled accounts with them. What does that mean? I'm back. Come stand right here. I'm back. Let's talk about what you did with what I gave. Dude, you're going you're to take one day in front of Jesus. You're going to have a talk about what you did with your life. Now relax. He's good. My primary purpose of creation is to enjoy God and know him personally. I did, my wife didn't marry me so she could wash camouflage boxer shorts. I, I'm serious. That's not why she married me. Do you understand this? I didn't get on one knee and say, you want to wash my underwear? Is this crazy or what? This is how religious people think. She didn't marry me to cook, cook 9,000 chickens. She didn't marry me to make up to bed or, or anything else. That's not why she married me. She married me to be married to me and we could enjoy each other. Now, I didn't follow Jesus to preach, although I do. I didn't follow Jesus to stop cussing, although I'm trying. I followed Jesus to enjoy a personal relationship. The greatest call on my life is to enjoy God. Do you really think he needs me to work for him? Have you seen what I can do? He's got an angel could outdo all of us. He created us to walk with him as sons and daughters and to walk with each other as brothers and sisters. That's the primary will of God for your life. But if you take your life and say, I don't care what God created, I don't, even, I don't want to know about God. Just leave me alone. I'll be a good person, but leave me alone. Verse 20, he who received the five talents came and brought five others and said, you gave me five, I gained five beside them. The Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with your life, a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Dear ones, there's another earth coming. You, what you do in that earth will be determined by what we do with what he gave us in this earth. I'm not going to match Billy Graham and you're not either. I wasn't called to match Billy Graham. I was called to be Brian. And you're called to be whoever. But you stand that Jesus came back and said, what did you do with your life? He said, I loved you. I walk with you. I love people. I serve. And Jesus said, that's what I created you for, son. Rule for eternity. Second man. Now, I want you to notice this. All right, this guy had a total of 10 talents, whatever you want to call it. He, he, he did good. The next guy came with four. How many of you know if you did 10, that's more than four, isn't it? No, no, no. That's not more than four. That's in our thinking, not in God's thinking. Look with me. Uh, verse 23. He who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you gave me two talents. I gained two more. The Lord said to him, well, you didn't do as good as the other one. <laughs> well done, good and faithful servant. He got the same exact word from God as Billy Graham did. Or the guy who did had 10. The, listen, you're, you're a little farm wife out in the middle of nowhere you never go to college you don't even finish high school you work you're on the farm with your husband you love God love your children teach work in the nursery at the Baptist church all your life Billy Graham gets to heaven and the Lord says 
well done. That little farm wife gets to heaven. She didn't, she didn't, she loved God as best she could, loved her community. And Jesus says, well done. There's no, we got to get this out of our thinking. You notice they both got the same reward, even though technically one covered a lot more ground. All right, here's the problem. Number one got down there. The next guy got there. And uh, he received the one town that came and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man. We had better get our thinking about God straightened out. Why'd this guy not want anything to do with God? He thought it was hard. I want to make an announcement. He's not hard. He's a good man. He's the, he's the most loving person I ever met. Did I need to say that? He's the most forgiving person I ever met. He's the most generous person I ever met. Do I need to go on and on here? He is not hard. This guy's, you know what this guy needed? He needed a revelation of Jesus Christ. He would have loved him and served him. That's why people don't follow God. They got a bad picture of him. He said, yes, I knew you were a hard man. I was afraid of you. I, I hid your talent in the ground. Listen, it doesn't say he ever smoked, cussed, stole anything, lied, never cheated on his wife. What did he do with his life? It's my life. Don't mess with it. And if you go and read the rest of it, he's in trouble. What does that parable tell me right there? It's not about good or bad. It's not about what you win or don't win. The revelation is he is the alpha and omega. You don't want to stand in front of him one day saying, I didn't want anything to do with you. I wanted, I wanted your life for this reason. This, oh, this is, this is such good news. What's my nation doing right now? What's the revelation? If the book of Revelation is true, my nation is wasting its life on trivial pursuit. You say, Brother Brown, they're getting rich. For what? I so said, they're famous. According to who? A few years from now, you remember their names. Labor for the meat that does not perish. That which lasts unto eternity. And uh, our, our revelation of judgment day, here's, here's how Jesus wrapped it all up in one word. I want, I want you to get this, get this revelation. I'm going to leave you this right here. In Matthew 19, Jesus is talking about his second coming and what it's going to be like. And here's the last thing he said about it. And many who are first will be last and the last will be first. What does that mean? We need an understanding of what it means. The first will be last and the last will be first. He's going to turn our thing upside down. On that latter day, when it's all said and done and all of everybody's life is reviewed, the star athletes, the wealthy entrepreneurs and businessmen, the great rulers of the earth who are first, if they didn't live in Jesus, they will be counted dead last. And what will they be told? You wasted your life. The little housewife down on the farm in red clay country, Georgia, or Eastern North Carolina, Jesus will say, behold, you go up first. Not because she was great in people. Do you understand what he's saying? What you think is great, I don't think much of. What I think is great, y'all never notice until the final day. And then on that day, the last will be first and the first will be last, which makes it so simple. We want to turn our lives out to him. This is the, re the great revelation of the book of Revelation is not so much that the rocks are going to split and the black horse is going to go out and the red horse is going to go out. It's that Jesus is the first, the last, and the everything. That's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Only one life will soon be passed. I'm in the fourth quarter now. Only what's done in Christ will last for eternity. So just, just reorient your life and say, the American church, we've got to get back to this. He is Lord. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. 
I can, here's, here's the serendipity. Are you ready? I said, there's still something in us that just says, I'd have to give up everything. Yeah. Yeah, you would. One amen. But here's the serendipity. Jesus said this, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. You do the best you can with your life, you'll come up short. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. Surprise. It's called serendipity. And, uh, you know, I was, I was going to live my life for me because I'm me. We're all born selfish. That's why we have to be born again. We was born wrong the first time. And even after I got saved, I had my plan to serve God. And I was going to do this and this. And I was going through the steps. Wasn't quite as happy. Long story short, I finally reached a place where he pinned me down, not just as Savior, but as Lord. And he said, you, you can do it your way and you can get in heaven. I remember you can live for yourself and go to heaven. First Corinthians three, you can build a life, wood, hay and stubble, it'll burn up. He will suffer loss, yet he will be saved as though by fire. If you, if you trust Jesus as your salvation, you're in. But here's what the deal is. I finally said, all right, I don't care. Botswana with a needle, it don't matter to me. I'll, I'll even, I love you so much. I'm, I'll pastor an American church. God, don't make me pastor. I don't care. I mean, I don't care. And guess what? Guess what? Surprise. I got the prize. Not just in the next life and this. I'm having the time of my life. I just sing God is good. All right, here's my story. You ready for it? Price is right. Are you anybody old enough to remember Price is right? I got some real old people here tonight. Must have, nursing home must have been looking the other way this afternoon. <laughs> I'm watching, the, me and my grandma, she lived with us. I watch, we watched Price is Right when I was a boy. And we'd sit there and watch it. She'd watch championship wrestling and Price is Right with me. So watching Price is Right. And watching it one day, and that, you know, the guy would go around there, Monty Hall, and he'd trade with people, make deals with people. And watching one day, we'd get go so excited. I'd try to call him out. She'd tell me to shut up and try to get the thing going. She, he made a deal. He said, told a lady one time, said, I'll give you, if you can find a comb in your pocketbook, I'll give you a brand new toaster. This was 1965. I know that don't mean nothing to you. Toasters was a big deal to women back then. So she goes scrambling. She finds a comb and she gets that brand new toaster. She bound to been from snow camp. She was so excited. I mean, she had her toaster. She was clinging to that toaster and she was excited. And she just won the lottery because she got that toaster. You, life ain't no better than a woman from snow camp with a brand new toaster. That's life right there. She's so happy. And uh, they're going through the show, make some deals. He comes back to her and he always makes big deals at the end. Comes back to her and he says to her, I'll trade you that toaster for what's behind door number three. I'm watching and I watched her for a minute and I watched her fingers tighten up on that toaster. I said, she's not going to do it, grandma. She said, shut up, shut up. And I knew because when she tightened up on it, I knew she wasn't going to do it because she, she must have really been wanting a toaster. She valued it. Listen, and there's nothing wrong with a toaster. I knew kids wouldn't mess with one now, but, you know, back in the old days we did. And uh, she said, no. He said, I'll give you another chance. She said, no. He said, sure, what's behind door number three? You know what happened? They pulled that thing back and they got, it was a new, it was a Buick, a new car. And you have the, I knew a car, did all that stuff. And they're showing that car. And all of a sudden the camera turns around and shows her. And you could see that the value of that toaster went way down <laughs> when she saw what was behind that curtain. I said, 
that is life right there. We get our little life and we cling to it. Here's my little plans, my little educational plans and going to get me a cute little girl, get a little white frame house, a little white picket fence and drive an old truck and three dumb youngers. We're going to have a big, just here's my little life. And we got our little lives all figured out. And God says, I'll trade you that for total abandonment, my son and what he's got for you. Here's the problem. You can't see it till you say yes. You just know he's good. You just got to believe he's good. And we look at that, we hold our little toaster and we squeeze it. We hold our little lives and say, I'll go to church. I'll give. I'll stay in the nursery if you'll just leave me alone. <laughs> and, and we cling to our little plans. And then at the end, and he smiles. He's not mad. He's not mad. He smiles. He pulls back the curtain and we go, <clears throat> I could have had that. I'm telling you, the Lord is good. And we want to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and say, I got the big one. I live for him. Now, if that means you're supposed to be a housewife on a farm in, how, how low can I go here? Sampson County, North Carolina. It's just married to a tater farmer. <laughs> or you going to run the nation. Who cares? The joy is not in your position. It's what's in your heart with Jesus. Between me and you, go with the tater farmer. Years ago, one of the great preachers in our nation, Donald, Barngaret, Donald Gray Barnhouse, one of the great pastors in our nation. Uh, when I was a boy, we had barber shops. Remember barber shops? Men didn't poof their hair and fluff their hair. You just went in one cut for everybody got it cut. And you went into the barber shop. Well, they had shine men in the barber shop. Anybody remember that? You'd go in the barbershop, there'd be a platform up here and it'd be a shoe shine man. You'd sit up there and you'd put your foot up there, your shoe on the thing, pedestal, and he'd shine your shoes for you while he's waiting to get your hair cut. Don't do it no more. All right, Donald Gray Barnhouse goes in the barbershop one day and the shoe shine man is sitting in there and there's nobody on his booth, so he's sitting there, he's reading the Bible. He's just sitting there reading it. Dr. Barnhouse, one of the great Bible scholars of the, the land, he's sitting there reading his Bible and Dr. Barnhouse goes by and sees that he's reading the book of Revelation. So he sets down, he waits, and he looks at him and he said, should you read the Bible? He said, yes, sir. He said, you're, I know you're reading the book of Revelation. He said, yes, sir. He said, do you understand it? Man said, yes, sir. Dr. Barnhouse said, well, that's strange. said, uh, you know, great scholars can't understand the Bible. And the man said, I do. <laughs> he said, well, what's the book of Revelation about? And the man just smiled and said, Jesus wins. <laughs> Went back to reading and Dr. Barnhouse, who wrote a great book on Revelation, said, you know what? I've never said it better myself. Here is the end word of the book of Revelation. Ultimate revelation is, in a come from behind victory, Jesus wins. And because I have attached myself to him, I win and rule for all of eternity. If you're going to read any part of Revelation, if you can't read but one page, read the last page of the Bible. I got to quit like a bride waiting for some of y'all waiting for you. Y'all got to get back to nursing home. We're going to be in trouble. We don't get out of here. Lord Jesus, we love you and praise you. I thank you and praise you that we can look behind the veil. We, we see the times and we see what's going on in our nation, commerce, economically, relationships. We watch the earth begin to deteriorate through global warming. We see all this stuff I praise you that your word says we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. 
because these things are eternal and valuable. I just want to praise you and thank you that you have revealed the face of your son and that he has loved us enough to wash us with his own blood that we might be a kingdom to him forever and priests unto you. Thank you most of all that he is coming with the clouds. My humble word, sir, wouldn't bother me if it's tonight. But that's, whenever it is, I'm going to be ready. And I don't care if I run the nation or nobody ever knows my name. I just want to take what you gave me and in you I want to live, move, and have my being. I want Jesus to be my Alpha and Omega, first and last, everything. Let Jesus be everything to me and these. And then one day the joy of our lives will be to stand in front of you and see the smile of God and say, well done. Thank you that your yoke is easy, your burden is light, and everybody can reach it. And now, Father, I want to pray for those like me that were a little late in the game getting there. Thank you that those who were late in the game deciding, your word says they still get a full reward, even if they only work the last hour of the day. Grace, your amazing grace, I give you all the praise and glory and honor. And we believe that concerning our lives, just one glimpse of him in glory will the toils of life repay. Let Jesus be glorified in everything we do. In his precious name we pray. Amen.